Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Josh Thoughts Official Sports Podcast, episode 32 here coming at you. And today we want to start with just all of the NFL reactions. Basically, week two is in the books. There was a bunch of crazy games that went down. And um, I'm going to touch on all of them briefly, just share a couple thoughts, and then I'm going to end out with the Patriots-Steelers game, which I watched very, very closely, and uh, give my thoughts and reactions there. So if you guys enjoy the pod, please share with your friends or a like or whatever you can do on these different podcast platforms. If not, um, simply don't listen because... You know, we're just we're just chilling here. We're just relaxing, talking some sports. And if you're not into that, then there's a million other podcasts you can find that'll probably have something you like a little bit more. So to jump straight in, we have the Thursday night Chargers Chiefs. You know, Chiefs won that one. I think it's interesting how Tyreek Hill leaving really hasn't impacted them too much in terms of you know, receiving options, they're just still kind of chugging along, playing very well, very efficiently against some good defenses these first couple weeks. So you got the Giants beating the Panthers. A little bit of a surprise there. You know, the Giants are overperforming some of the other games they had done in the past. You know, kind of makes you um, think that Brian Dayball is probably having a decent effect on the team and helping them a good bit. We got the Jets over the Browns. Crazy comeback by Joe Flacco. Like two minutes left in the game. Bombs a touchdown in. They go for the onside kick, get it, end up winning the game. Really, really gutsy win for Salah and his Jets. And it makes me honestly a little bit trepidatious about the season now seeing how formidable even the Jets can be against a pretty solid Browns team. Admittedly, the Browns are without Deshaun Watson. They are using uh, Jacoby Brissett at quarterback, who is limited. And that definitely hurts their potential output, but they still have a great roster. Those two running backs of Hunt and Chubb are just ridiculously, um, you know, ridiculously strong, fast, and powerful running back core, good offensive line, you know, decent playmakers on both sides of the ball. So, The Jets pulling out the win there is very impressive and shows that they are, you know, scrappy. And I will say the Jets' defense looks pretty, you know, athletic. I'm not going to say that they're good or that they're perfect or anything like that, but they look like they have players who can make a difference. So we'll have to keep our eyes on the Jets as we go forward and see, you know, where the Patriots really stack up in the AFC East this year. So... Colts and the Jaguars, this was a shocker for me, and I think what this really comes down to is a confluence of a couple different factors. You know, you have the Colts who, I think because of their relative level of success, they've sort of let themselves underestimate, um, you know, they've let themselves underestimate how much improvement they need to make. You know, you have the year before with, with Carson Wentz where they lose to the Jaguars at the end of the year, preventing them from getting into the playoffs. And everyone viewed them as a decently capable playoff team. And when that kind of thing happens, you start to think, oh, it's just Carson Wentz's fault. It's just because we lost that game versus the Jaguars. Well, a lot of times, you know, you don't, if you're winning or losing or getting into the playoffs or not getting into the playoffs off one game, you're not one of the best teams in the league. You know, that, that's a couple game difference. 
And I think what's happened with the Colts is they've been lulled into a false sense of security on their roster. And thinking that their roster of players is good enough is like a top roster in the league. Well, every team every year gets better. And every team with a worse record than you gets better draft picks than you. So teams like the Jaguars, I'm not saying the Jaguars are completely better than the Colts all the time. But if you looked at the rosters and how they played the game, the Jags looked like they had better, stronger, and faster players. You know, and in a lot of areas, they do. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, I mean, this is a big game for the young quarterbacks of the NFL. Trevor Lawrence going out there looking way better than Matt Ryan. And Matt Ryan kind of looking old and looking, you know, and he looked good, but it just, it's different from these younger guys who are now just coming into their own a couple years into the league. There's a difference there. The next generation of quarterbacks is is being passed that baton from the older generation. So, you know, you have that where Lawrence looks better than Matt Ryan. And then you have the rest of the team where, you know, the Jaguars are seemingly having a lot easier time creating offense than the Colts. And the Colts are like struggling on offense to make it down the field. The Colts offensive line didn't look that good compared to the Jags D line. You know, all these other things kind of coming together into place sort of leaves you with this shocking um, victory by the Jaguars, 24 to zero. I mean, who would have, who would have thought it? And, you know, to be honest, personally, I really dislike the Colts very heavily because I think they had a big hand in sort of promoting the deflate gate conspiracy against Tom Brady, where, you know, there's still very little, there's still very little evidence to show that that had happened. And even if it did happen, there's zero non-existent evidence to show that that would have helped him win that game in the rain where the Patriots rushed for like 300 yards and won by 50. It's kind of like, you know, so that's a whole rabbit hole you can dive into. There was the whole Wells report that was released. You know, the Wells report has its own issues and inconsistencies with it. And they didn't, they never found actual guilt. They never found evidence that actually said someone in the Patriots organization is guilty. They just said, well, more likely than not, we believe something happened, which is, you know, kind of a low bar to clear in a lot of ways, especially when the NFL and everybody was mad at Tom Brady and the Patriots for years because they were just better than them and were beating them left, right, and center. You know, the Colts kind of jumped on this as an opportunity to get a little bit of petty payback. And did it work? No, because the year Tom Brady was suspended, four games, he came back and brought the Patriots to the Super Bowl and won Super Bowl 51 in the most incredible fashion we've ever seen a game won in the NFL up to that point. So in any case, I still very much don't like the Colts. You know, I I hate this sort of like Jim Irsay, cool guy vibe of like, oh, he's just, he's a great owner because he's just a regular guy. You know, let, let me be honest here. If I ever met him in person, would I be starstruck would I probably be nice to him yeah I probably would but at the same time a lot of that's contingent on just the fact that he's so rich that I'd probably be hoping a couple mil would fall out of his back pocket and into mine so I'd be nice to him for that reason alone I mean I think realistically 
you know, with all these owners, because they're already in such this privileged position of having all this wealth, if they're not a complete dickhead, they're going to get the benefit of the doubt that they're a nice guy, that they're a cool guy or whatever. You know, the, the bar is so much lower for them to clear. They can just have a couple reasonable pursuits and hobbies. And now all of a sudden, like they're a cool guy owner instead of like a less cool guy. Like, you know, I'm used to Robert Kraft. He has no, you know, reputation as a cool guy. Even with the stuff that he does, everyone kind of gets it. Oh, it's he's the owner. It's because he's the owner. He, you know, is hanging out with these rappers, doing this, doing that. It's not because, oh, he's cool and they like him. It's just because he's a big businessman. These are other businessmen. You know, there's not this perception of like, oh, he's so different. He's so cool. So that kind of, you know, kind of grates on me a little bit as well. You know, especially when he's whining and complaining to the NFL about Tom Brady with the balls when it's it's really because he can't figure out his own football team. So he wants to whine about some deball, balls being deflated a tiny bit, and that's supposed to be, you know. And then you look at the totality of the situation. So anyways, regardless, I'm getting way off track. I don't like the Colts. So to be frank, this is actually um, a great experience for me to watch them get beat down by the same rivals that made them change quarterbacks a year ago. And again, you look back at the Carson Wentz situation and you have to wonder, was it really that bad? Was Wentz that bad? You know, I know he had some mistakes. He had some turnovers. Personally, I don't hate Carson Wentz. You know, I think he he has played well at certain times. You know, I think the Eagles situation was beyond toxic because of the way Nick Foles had won a Super Bowl. It just would never be the same. If you don't match that level, you're never going to, you know, you'll never be on the same status as that other guy. So you have to blow it up. You have to get rid of him. But with the Colts, I didn't think he was that bad. I mean, did he have a couple bad plays, you know, in the Jags game? Yes. But there's also other factors that have, that are involved in this 24 to nothing defeat by the Colts to the Jags. Part of those things existed last year in that game as well. Some of those factors of the Jags having more athletic players and more talented players. So... In any case, let's move on to the Dolphins beating the Ravens. You know, I kind of watched this game. I honestly think the Dolphins' offense was kind of outsmarting the Ravens' defense. I feel like at the end of the game, the the style in which the Ravens were playing defense was very odd to me. They were leaving a lot of space open in the middle. And I don't know, like, that's probably part of their scheme, part of their plan, but it didn't really seem to be working. You know, honestly, this game makes me feel a lot better about the Patriots-Dolphins game because, you know, I consider the Ravens to be a decent team. Not not a top team, honestly, but a decent, very good team. And, you know, the Patriots-Dolphins, a couple plays go the other way, and we could have won that game easily. You know, the first game, if it just the ball had gone out a little farther or a little faster, so that was a t- TD instead of a picked ball, or if they actually called the pass interference of Zavin Howard, you know, using Devontae Parker's jersey with his left hand grabbing it to, like, one-up and boost himself into the air to tip the ball to then be intercepted. They get that call right. We get a TD right off the bat. Then, you know, you clean up that one blocking assignment for the strip sack fumble, and all of a sudden, you know, the game is very close. It would have been 14-13 to 13 Patriots just taking those two plays away alone. 
So, you know, and I'm not saying, oh, the game was, you know, we should have won or anything like that. Those are the types of plays that make the game. You know, the game is won and lost in individual plays. But when you can look at such a small number of individual plays and go, well, that just went a different way, then, you know, I think that shows you how close it is. So it makes me feel good that the Dolphins beat the Ravens because that makes me feel a little bit better about us, you know, losing a close game to them at the beginning of the season. You know, and hopefully we'll be able to, you know, show that we are on the level of a Miami or even better as we go forward here. That's the hope. You know, I'd like to be second in the division this year, if possible, behind Buffalo. And and maybe even first, if we can ramp up to operating on that high of a level. That might be a bit of a, a pipe dream at the moment, but we'll, we'll see how, how the season goes. Got Buccaneers over the Saints. Tom Brady finally got that monkey off his back that really you know he could never beat the saints in the regular season you know and it's it's a different situation you got Jameis at the wheel you know you got a lot of stuff you know saints are caught being scrappy causing fights that probably didn't help them but um yeah good on tom and you know just making it work with the offensive line injuries that they're dealing with right now and still getting stuff done and you got Lions over the Commanders, very interesting, very interesting. I think, you know, props to Dan Campbell. I really like Dan Campbell. I like his attitude. I like having offensive linemen as coaches. The importance of offensive line and defensive line is very, very important, and he's a guy that understands that better than a lot of other guys. Um, You know, you can look at it as Bill Belichick, too. Bill Belichick played football as a center. So, you know, you think about it that way, there's a lot of – you know, a lot of untapped potential in the offensive line coaching area. So props to Dan Campbell. I hope they keep doing what they're doing. And uh, the commanders, I don't really know what to think about. They're kind of in limbo. They're kind of in, you know, Dan Schneider shouldn't be an owner. Let's be honest. That I can't, I can't buy anything from that organization. They are, that's a diseased organization that should be completely recalibrated. Schneider out. He's a sicko. If you haven't seen all the weird shit he was doing with photographing cheerleaders and sending it to executives and special cuts and all this weird shit like that, it's just just sketchy, just awful, classic, just sleazy billionaire bullshit where you're, you, you realistically, you're becoming a fucking animal in the jungle because you you get enough money, you feel like you can do anything in the world, and you revert back to a fucking pre-civilized state where you're you're literally a creep. So it's gross, it's awful, it's stupid, and uh, get Schneider the hell out of there. Now moving on to Seahawks 49ers. This is a funny one because I thought the Seahawks would win this game, and I thought it would be like alarm bells for Trey Lance, but it is, but just the opposite way, where Trey Lance gets hurt, Jimmy G comes in and saves them, because at this point, Jimmy G is a lot better than Trey Lance. And it's it's rough to say that, too, because Jimmy G is, you know, is he the 15th best quarterback in the league? Is it is it is it a higher number? Is it lower? I mean, it's it's hard to say lower. You know, it's, it's really hard. I mean, let me list quarterbacks right now for you guys. We got Patrick Mahomes. We got Josh Allen. We got Tom Brady. We got Matt Stafford. We have, you know, Kyler Murray. We have Russell Wilson. We have, who am I? I'm missing a million people. Okay, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, 
Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers. Now we're at 10. This is just 10, you know, right off the dome. Get to Sean Watson. I mean, admittedly, he hasn't played in a bit. Let me look right through this list right here. Derek Carr. I mean, I know some people would argue Derek Carr with Jimmy G, but I think I think Carr is better. I mean, Trevor Lawrence. That's another one. We got Dak, even though he's injured. Did I say Russell Wilson? I may have already said Russell Wilson. We got Kirk Cousins. I mean... So, I mean, maybe Jimmy G is 15th. You know, maybe he is 15th. I'm running out of guys who are so easy to say are, are easily above Jimmy G. So maybe he's, you know, rounding out that top 15 of football. Um, I mean, I think, to, in my opinion, you have to compare him with guys like Justin Fields at this point. Because although, you know, here's the thing about Jimmy G. I'm a Patriots fan. I like Jimmy G. I saw him, you know, play for us. It was a whole thing. You know, it's like the thing with Jimmy G is, He's a good quarterback, but he has a tendency for the mental mistake and then the odd physical mistake. So he's not as consistent as, let's say, Tom Brady. He'll play a game, you know, very, very well, and then he might just throw one up there for the defense randomly. He'll be throwing the ball extremely well, and he might just have this off throw that's, like, so off that it's all of a sudden in danger of getting picked. That's his issue. Um, and not to mention, especially the, the odds of these throws being off or inaccurate increases the farther away it is from him and the closer to the outside of the numbers it is. So regardless, you know, he's a really good QB, but I don't know if he's, you know, I don't know if he's bringing anyone to a Super Bowl, but this is the whole issue of why they're trying to replace him with Trey Lance. And again, it goes back to really, and honestly, when, when this first draft happened, I really was going heavy off of Chris Sims quarterback rankings for the draft. And he was very low on fields coming out. So originally I would have said the 49ers should have taken Mac Jones at number three. Now I'm starting to think they should have taken Justin Fields at least, because when you look at the, you know, Trey Lance and Justin Fields were very similar prospects coming out of college in the way that they play. But if you look at the stats, Justin Fields was playing for years in college at a very, very high level, whereas Trey Lance had played not too recently because he had missed years because of COVID and in a different college league that wasn't as um, intense as, you know, where Ohio State is playing. So when you put all that together, you know, you could look at it on paper and say, well, Lance looks better on paper with just the stats we have, with just the film we have. But at the same time, you got to add a little bit of context and understand that it's different. You know, when you're playing at Ohio State, that's basically the NFL because of the intensity of it, because of the teams you're playing against, because of what's at stake and all the pressure and the attention. When you're playing at, you know, North Dakota State, where Trey Lance was playing, it's it's just not the same. And to play so much less than Justin Fields, I think that's what I come back to where you go, 
you know, we're you're trying to get a guy that's going to convert his skill over. Trey Lance, I think there was questions of is is his skill set going to convert over to the NFL because it's so much of a bigger leap for him than a guy like Justin Fields. And I think it's been proven so far that Justin Fields is far better at this point than Trey Lance. Mac Jones is far better at this point than Trey Lance. And, you know, uh, is Kellen Mond better than Trey Lance? It's it's hard to tell because Kirk Cousins is still doing his thing with the Vikings. But, I mean, we're getting to the point where Kellen Mond perhaps is better than Trey Lance at, 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 at the current moment of time. So, in any case, it's just a really interesting kind of uh, situation the 49ers have gotten themselves into by trading three first-round picks to go up to pick number three so they could have their pick of the litter and picking the wrong guy. What a disaster class by John Lynch and um, Kyle Shanahan. I mean, and it, that's the funny part. They're, they're a good coach and a good GM. They're, like, struggling to, out, to outsmart their own mistake now. That's where they are. They have to work night and day to to re basically to recalibrate their squad so that they're unaffected by the grievous error that they committed in that draft. So in any case, um, it's an interesting situation. I love watching the 49ers play because I know they're going to have cool plays and like they have great players. And I also know they have to overcome not having as good of a quarterback, whether it's Trey Lance or Jimmy G. Now, with Jimmy G is certainly better than Trey Lance at this point. And, you know, but even that, like, that's fun to watch. It's fun to watch Jimmy G because he just slings it around. And if he throws a pick, he throws a pick. He comes back in, he just does the same thing again. Like, he really is unbothered, which I like to watch as a fan because it's it just creates a lot of chaos, you know, which is like, you know, that's the best in a game. You want the game to be up in the air. You know, you don't know what's going to happen. So, you know, at the end of the day, Jimmy G, really interesting player to watch and kind of observe there. So so we got 49ers over the Seahawks. That was kind of it, – it, it should have played out like that. Now, admittedly, if it was Trey Lance, they might have still lost, and that would have been a disaster. But, you know, he got hurt. Jimmy G comes in. They end up winning. We'll see how the 49ers do. If they get to the playoffs again, they're not going to be able to – pitch this thing of, oh, we're just putting Trey Lance in. Like, it's going to be a dead pick. Like, they made the wrong pick. They're going to have to get rid of Trey Lance. It's crazy. You know, I feel a little bit bad for Trey. This is the thing, too. I feel worse for the players when they mess up than the teams. The teams you messed up, it's like you had all the info, you had all the time, all the, you know, and it's not like you can always get it right. So I feel a little bit bad that, oh, you messed it up. But at the same time, they're in a privileged position to be able to make that decision. So I don't feel that bad for them. The players I feel worse for because they can't determine where they get selected. And then these things will be attached to them forever. Like it's their fault. You know, Trey Lance didn't pick himself third. You know, he might have wanted to get picked higher. He might have lobbied teams to pick him higher. But it's the team's responsibility to pick a player at a draft position that is reflective of their abilities. So without him, you know him being picked at third, he'll always be measured against that. And if he's not, if he's not as good as Justin Fields or Mac Jones, that will be held against him forever. 
and it's the 49ers' fault, not his fault. So, um, us as fans, we have to remember not to hold players' draft position against them if they didn't draft themselves there. I feel horrible for Nikhil Harry. Always have. Because he did not draft himself in the first round. That was Bill's fault. It was Bill's fuck-up, not his. Um, and he got put into an awful position, and now he's just criticized. And I, I feel awful for the kid. I feel awful for him because he never said, hey, I, I should be the first receiver off the board here. And he shouldn't have. So, you know, keep that in mind, guys. Not everything is, uh, you know, players do not determine their own draft position. So, we got, moving on, we got Falcons-Rams. Rams put them away. Falcons showing some good fight. We have Cardinals-Raiders. That was, you know, OT, so Cardinals took that one back. I was watching when the Raiders were far ahead. Um, you know, selfishly, I want the Raiders to do really bad so we can get Josh McDaniels back on our team. You know, I think the Raiders are a funny team because they have a lot of potential, but they also struggle from having a lot of, like, personnel sort of issues that are hard to see. Like they have players who can play really well within formation and take instruction well, but I think they also have players who are not as physically dominant necessarily. Maybe the opposite of like a Jaguars, like the Jaguars, I look and I just see a bunch of like really athletic, really, you know, solid athletic players. Maybe they're not like the best coached up and or even have the best ability to take that or anything. Like, I don't know what it is, but the Raiders, it's almost the opposite where they're still suffering from John Gruden really selecting people based on like culture and not athleticism, which has weakened their roster in certain points. And when you have a team like that, and trust me, I know all about this because the Patriots have been like that for years. Now, at this point in time, the Patriots are a little bit more physically dominant than they have been at certain points in the past. But when your roster is a little bit worse than a lot of the better teams and you want to beat those teams, you have to play extremely solid and pay attention to every little detail. Never let the other opponent break a big play because that's when you lose, when you have less athletic players. You have to make sure that everything's buttoned up and everything's perfect, and that gives you the opportunity to win using coaching, using, you know, really smart, really intelligent plays. So, in any case, um, you know, I think the Raiders are in that kind of a situation now. Now, I like Josh McDaniels, and he's very detail-focused and very, you know, good at all those things. Is he to the same level at that that he and Belichick would be together? I don't think so. I don't think so one bit. So they're going to have to, you know, figure out in the future how to play so solid that they never make those little mistakes that come back to bite them. Um, now we got Texans-Broncos. Not too surprising. Russell Wilson goes out there and gets a win. He should have won versus the Seahawks, but we all know how that went down with Nathaniel Hackett. RIP, that decision was awful. But the Bengals-Cowboys, big surprise from the Cowboys here. And I honestly think this is one of those things where the Bengals are proving themselves to be so, so immature as a team, as an organization. This is the type of game that they should have won, and they should have understood the magnitude of it and the importance of it coming off a loss versus the Steelers, how important it is 
to get this game here. And the fact that they didn't, the fact that they waltz in, and, and look, I need to do more investigation about this game just to see how it went down, how everything went. Um, But it shouldn't have been close. It shouldn't have even been close. The Bengals should have killed them now. Um, I think this shows a couple things. One, NFL teams are never as far apart as you think. Two, attitude matters big time coming into games. Knowing Dak Prescott was injured, I think, gives you a little bit of a sense of, you know, oh, these guys are here to be had. Well, you know, they come out and they have a great game plan. You know, it can be, it can actually be a, a small, small, tiny advantage to teams that have a quarterback change. If their second quarterback's good, you're going to make, or good enough, you're going to make a new game plan surrounding that QB. That's going to be different than your normal offense. That's going to be unpredictable. It's going to be something that the opponent isn't able to plan for. So that's a little tiny advantage. And if you take it, you take that advantage and you run with it, you have the chance to win. You know, Bears Packers, not much of a surprise there. I was really hoping the Packers would fireball, not even because I hate Aaron Rodgers. I have no problem with Aaron Rodgers or the Packers, you know, team. I guess I don't like their management. I don't like how it's been run. I don't like how they've let the receivers go. And I kind of want this whole strategy to be shown to be very bad and very ineffective just so that it kind of, um, and just drives the point home that that Jordan Love pick was absolutely awful. And again, nothing against Jordan Love. He didn't control getting selected there. That was the Packers' fault to select him there in a year where they were contending for a Super Bowl, and instead they picked a guy where if he was playing, you know they have no chance because that means Rodgers would have been out. So it's ridiculous. You pick you pick a backup at the one position you know you're not going to need it that year if you have a chance of winning a Super Bowl. So. You know, Packers kind of a dumpster fire in terms of decision-making recently up top. So, I don't know. Maybe they figure it out. Maybe they don't. Then you got the Titans-Bills and the Vikings-Eagles are happening today. So, it should be some interesting games. Now, to close out and just talk a little bit about the Patriots-Steelers game, um, just to kind of end the Week 2 reaction analysis pod here. Um. This was a game that the Patriots controlled the whole way through. And I think, again, very similar to the Miami game, it came down to um, offensive struggles. We are just struggling mightily on offense, really, with um, getting things done. We have no ways to get easy points, breakout points. Um and that's, that's going to be the, the challenge for the Patriots this whole year is how well can we get this offense moving. You know, there's times when the offense looks really good and it's moving down the field, but because we're normally going in 10-yard in increments to a degree, we're getting, you know, we're not penetrating so deeply into the opponent's territory such at the point where, we're able to, you know, strike for like surprise touchdowns and things like that. We're going a lot of times 10, 15 yards per set of downs. And the problem with that is at any point, if you get unlucky or if the opponent guesses right or whatever it is, they mess up one of your, you know, let's say one of your downs gets messed up. Then another one, just another like unlucky, you know, incompletion or whatever. 
Now you're at third and 10. Now you need 10 yards in one play. You know, if you had been able to get, you know, a couple chunk plays before, you might already be close to the end zone. But now because you've had to go every single time, there's so much more frequency for errors to occur. And a lot of that's been happening. Like you look at the Miami game. We had like more yards, all these other things, like more passes, more completions, more yards than Miami, but they had way more points. Well, why? Because they were getting these big breakout plays with Tyreek Hill. It was one play, 60 yards or like something crazy like that. We weren't getting a lot of that. So add all that together, it makes your job more difficult as an offense. If you're going to go piece by piece and just like slowly, methodically, like unless you're perfect, it's not going to work. Um at least it's not going to work as well as maybe it should, or maybe you have the potential for it to work. So in this game, it was a very similar thing. You know, you look at Miami, the defense gave up 13 points. Miami scored 20 because there was a strip sack fumble. That was on the offense. That was the offense giving away seven points. So the defense of the Patriots allowed 13 points against the Steelers yesterday. The defense of the Patriots allowed 14 points. So the defense is showing to be very, very good. Um, maybe a couple little things you want cleaned up, but overall great performances so far. Now these other teams weren't necessarily the most high octane offenses ever, but you could also look and argue that if the Patriots got a couple more ducks in a row, they maybe could prevent even a couple of the scores of the last two games or maybe get their opponents down to seven points. I think for somebody like Tua and Mitch Trubisky, I, I would like the defense to be holding them to about seven points, you know, as a true reflection of if we have a top defense and they are not a good QB, which I believe both of them are not good QBs, then, you know, I think we should hold them to around seven to 10 points. Now, um, it all comes back to the offense, really. It all comes back to the offense. So we were able to scrabble enough points together yesterday against a, you know, a, a scrappy Pittsburgh defense, but not necessarily the defense that, you know, is as loaded as it has been in years past. You know, the Steelers, just like the Patriots, have also been dealing with this sort of issue of being good for a million years in a row. You're good every year. You just don't get as good draft picks. This eventually causes roster depletion. You're seeing it with the Patriots now as they're trying to recover and pivot out of it. You're seeing it with the Steelers, who have also been good for a solid 15 years, even if you're not winning. And this is even worse. This is the toughest part about the NFL, too, is even if you're not winning, those are your chance years. You still get the worst draft picks, even if you don't win the Super Bowl. You know, if you win the Super Bowl, you get the worst draft picks. But if you're the second best team, third best team, you get the second worst draft picks, third worst draft picks, fourth. It goes down the line. So even if you're just good for a lot of years, it's tough because you really have to capitalize in those years or else you are going to have a backslide. You're going to have a backslide where you start to lose, you know. It's, you know, all those draft picks who, that were a little bit lower than you wanted start to come to fruition. So you got to make sure you're either outperforming the other teams in terms of drafting, free agent signing, coaching or something else. But even if you keep doing that, you still have the same issue. The only true way to kind of reset and get back to ground zero is to perform poorly, in which case you do get better draft picks. You do get better this. You get better, you know better players coming in. This is what's happening with the Jaguars right now. The Jaguars have been bad for so many years. Well, their team now, it's just a bunch of first and second round picks, like just 
you know, really good players, you know, because they've been bad over and over and over, even recently. So it's like at a certain point, it's, it's hard to continue the same thing you're doing, whether it's being bad or good. You know, teams will reach a breaking point where you have to kind of slingshot in the other direction. So I do feel bad for the Steelers there, but we also kind of met them on the same ground. You know, we met him in the same arena there, so don't feel too bad for him. But, you know, at the end of the day, I feel good about the Patriots' defense. A little bit of trepidation about the offense. That's what I'm hoping we can really work on and, and find a find a formula that's going to work and that's going to be able to use our awesome receivers and running backs in a way that will really, you know, propel us into scoring a lot more points. So. In any case, I think I'm going to call it there, guys. Thanks for listening. This has been the Josh Thoughts Sports Podcast, episode 32. Um, And uh, that's it, guys. I hope you all have a good one, and I'll catch you all later.